Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Hey, how about we have uh, everybody here in person? Come on, put your hands together. Say hello to everybody who's watching online with us, no matter where you're coming in. Good to have you. Uh, We are a church who loves to equip to make disciples. We don't just come in here and listen and then be sustained by the very word once a week. Uh, But we like to get in here, listen to it, and then go do something with it. And the primary way that we do that is do groups. So if you're not in a group already, grab some people that you know um, that might be in a group right now and grab this piece of paper. These are our group guides. And we try to update this every single week with the message, um, with the content that we put together for the questions and also for the scriptures. So everything in here that you hear that you are going to encounter, we're giving you opportunity to go experience by getting some people around you and say, hey, this is what I heard from this weekend, but how do I apply it? Where does it go? Where does it fit in? And uh, if it doesn't find a place in your marriage, uh, in your relationships, in your practices, and in your habits... It's because it hasn't really set place inside your heart yet. And that's what conversation does. Having community, having good people around you, asking questions, and also looking out for your blind sides, encouraging in areas in which you don't even see, so that we can come and be filled and literally transformed, so that we can become more like Jesus from the inside and live from the inside out. So that's one of the primary ways that we uh, that we do that. So grab one on the way out. Or if you're online, you can also um, grab a digital uh, copy of that too. So the primary um, endeavor for today is I want to go after this phrase that just kept coming to mind this past week when I was praying over you guys and just praying over the message, which is pure in heart. And what it brought me back to was Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, which Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And every time I just, um, this past week, I just kept coming back to the scripture. And I didn't really have like an unpacking and unfolding of, of what that looked like. But now that we're here, I know that there's been a ton of experience for me over this past week just to practice keeping our hearts uh, pure. And um, I don't know if you have this, this, um, this practice in your life, if you're, if you're garden, if you are connected to a farmer. But there's a lot of work that goes on maintaining the ground so that flourishing can happen with the plants. I mean, I, I know this from, a, from an extended, a distant uh, knowledge just from trying to keep my grass alive. You know what I mean? I mean, this is like barely... I'm barely making it in this sandhill region. I mean, this is difficult as it is, but year after year, you're like, dude, you have to fertilize it and water it again? Like, I just did this last year, you know, and springtime comes around and it lets you know, hey, are you going to, you can actually work the land so that you can actually see the fruits of that. And so our, our heart in Jesus' illustration is parallel. It was very familiar with the way the land and fields would work. And so agriculture was a popular and well-known um, advantage in the day so that he would pull parallels and, and parables, stories, so that he could teach them about the condition of your heart. And that's what I want to talk about today. Jesus' words where he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, when you have that idea, there's a connection between both sides of this word. The pure in heart will see God. But listen, you can also invert it and say the ones who see God are pure in heart. 
And when you see God, the more you see him, the more you gaze on him, the more you you find him inside of the scriptures. Whenever you see him working in your life, that purifies your heart. And the more you recognize this is God's activity, this is the presence of God. Like Moses, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. You recognize God, that purifies your heart. Stepping into moments that are kairos moments, you're like, this is going to change things. It starts to purify your heart. What you look at starts to change you. When you're changed, you start to see things differently. Are you following this? It's like a repeated cycle. But usually, let me just say this, usually when the religious read this verse it's a mandate to try harder i gotta clean myself up in order to come into church i have to do right do better pray more make sure i clean my life up and order it up then i can come to church can i just cancel that right now that's not that the religious idea is man's version of building something that god says i am building the temple. I am building you. I created you. I built you for a reason. And when we see this idea, we have to recognize we're coming in recognizing that there's an author over our life. There's a master builder over our life, shaping our heart, shaping our lives, our thought processes so that we can look more like Jesus. That was the original plan. God had plans over your life. He made you. He created you way before creation was ever made. Before the the trees and the land and the sea. God here, as beautiful as they are, he says there's something better. Everything was good. Day one, good. Day two, good. Day three, good. And then all of a sudden when he made the man in his image, he says it's very good. And there's something that we bestow that right now the world and the flesh and sin and distortion and the enemy is trying to muddle, is trying to dull and trying to fade and try to cover. And it's the very image of God inside of you. It's the heart of humanity inside of you. And it's the ones who said, by faith, I want to receive the promise that you have for me. Do you want to know that there's a promise in the Old Testament? That is still true for you today. And God says this in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit, God says, I will put inside of you. Anytime the Old Testament says, I will, God says, that's a promise. You can hold him to that. God, you said you would do this. You said you would do this. Do you know how faith comes? By hearing the word of Christ. So you you have this verse. God said, I'm going to give you a new heart. You're like, this operating system needs to be removed and a new one needs to be downloaded. Not just slightly maintained. I mean, just (laughs) come on, somebody. You need to rip that thing out and you need to get a new one. Is anybody with me? Yeah, you ever feel like that? You're like, this guy is just not functioning properly. I mean, what's coming out right now is just a lot of bitterness, junk, words that you can't even repeat around your mom. Come on, somebody. Like, there's just just, there's just things flying out of here. You're like, where did that come from? I'll tell you exactly where it comes from. It comes from a heart that's filled up with junk. And because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will eventually speak. And somebody that you love will be the target of your abused words that you just kept dormant for too long. But God says, I want to give you a new heart. I don't want to polish up the one you have. He says in in this verse, I'm going to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart. I'm going to give you a soft heart. And God says, I will do the work. 
But what do you have to do? What do we have to do? We have to, we have to find the appointment to come and rest on the table so that he can do heart surgery. And can I just set up some space for you right now? Today is going to be some heart surgery. And it's not, I, I, there's going to be moments where it's not going to be, it's not going to be easy. But I believe we're going, to, we're going to be able to leave here and God's going to be able to do some work so that we can be more fruitful on the other side of it. Are you, are you ready for that? You ready? Ready for some heart surgery? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you just put that scripture up there, they will see God. Let me just uh, t- take notes today. I, just, I have a lot for you. There's a lot of scripture. We're going to pound through this, and I don't want you to miss anything. Listen, Proverbs 29 says, without vision, you die. One translation says, without the prophetic revelation, to be able to really see what God has, has shown you there the whole time, but he reveals things to you. That's why his word is living and active. Sharper than a double-edged sword. It's a revelation. Whenever you read something, you're like, oh, I've read that story before. Yes, but read it like God's still alive, that he wants to speak to you, and these words are are living. Read it like that. It'll start to come alive, and and things will be revealed to you that weren't before. They've always been there. Nobody added to it, but it'll be revealed to you. When you have a prophetic revelation, you start to see God in the scriptures, and he speaks to you. What will happen is you'll start to come alive. If you don't see him, you'll start to die inside. Are you catching this? It's the, it's the Old Testament version of the pure in heart will see God. Those who see God will have a pure heart. Those who have a vision will come alive inside. When you don't have a vision, you don't see what God's doing. You, the New Testament says you become so nearsighted that you're blind. So when you, when you have sight, what's the purpose of all this? There's an eternal perspective. There is an eternal reason why this is happening. Our current sufferings cannot compare to the eternal glory. Come on, somebody. There's a vision that you cast. There's a hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But hope given to God. I know you're going to do something with this. Your word says all of this is going to be worked out for my good. And if that's the case, I have a vision for this little valley that I'm going through right now. Don't worry, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because sometimes I go through valleys of the shadow of death. Are you with me? I don't stay there. Did you hear what I said? I walk through it. And so when we have this, we have vision for our life, not because we can muster up some dream. It's because we see what God's doing and we we know his plan over our life. When we see his vision, we start to come alive. And it purifies our heart. When we purify our heart, then we can see God. We have vision and we don't perish. It actually says in First uh, John chapter 3 is that we are not who we are yet. God has a plan and design for your life. You're not there yet. Do you feel that? <laughs> that wasn't rhetorical. Okay, so God has a perfect plan and he designed you and you're just not there yet. Do you feel it? Like there's aches and moans. You're like, I really should be more mature. <laughs> I'm not talking about you should be better looking. That's, you know, they, you think that sometimes. See, I'm talking about the internal condition. I really should be further along. Yeah, you will be. Because when you see him for the fullness of who he is, you'll become like you were designed and created to be. That's what 1 John 3 says. What's the, what's the distinct? The clarification is when you see him for who he is, you also start to become who God designed and created you to be. But, um, you know, the, the, the wedding scripture, First. 
Corinthians chapter 13. If you go all the way down to the end of that uh, chapter, it says, Right now we see in a mirror dimly. We see dimly, but then we will see face to face. Come on, are you with me? We need vision over our lives. We need to be able to find out, God, what are you doing in this moment? Because if I don't see the vision, what happens? I become so nearsighted, I become blind. And then, and then in Romans, Paul actually says, how do the blind lead the blind? <laughs> yeah, Lord, give us eyes to see. Every single parable that Jesus gave um, um, at the very beginning or end of some of them, he would actually even say, listen, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. And the reason why he speaks in parables is so that you have eyes to actually see, ears to hear, and a heart that comes fully alive and that understands him and is healed. Are you with me? So important. Jesus wants to occupy. Let me just give you a few other scriptures. I mean, I'm going to fire hose you today. All right, just, I'm, just, I'm just getting you ready. Just take some notes. Ephesians chapter 3 says that so that, here's the purpose of this, so that Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. And so that with all the saints, you would have to comprehend what is the depth, the breadth, the length, and the height of Christ's love for you. Because, you know, no one man can, and can steer on this adventure. No one man can comprehend all of the surpassing greatness that is God's love. We need each other. That's how big of a topic this is. What's the point? You, you come back to the primary thing, and Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your heart. I don't know if you're catching this, but I, I feel like Jesus dwelling, living in your heart, kind of a tight squeeze. Did you get the picture? All right, let me just give it to you. Okay, God says that he fills the heavens. You know the word for heavens is actually just the, the sky above you. It's literally sky. It's space. There are known areas in space that they've studied, and there are also uh, telescopes that go beyond this, and then they just dub all that the unknown. Yeah. It's like the, the place in which we just haven't discovered yet. I mean, that's a bit, that space is huge. Are you with me? And scripture says God fills the heavens. He fills all of space. And that same God says, I'm going to come dwell in your heart. <laughs> Are you catching the picture? I'm like, I don't know if you can fit. I don't, I don't know if you can fit in here. The picture that I get is, is like, have you ever um, watched the strongman contest? I watch it a lot, as you can tell. And uh, whenever you watch these, I mean, they're huge. But it's funny to go watch these guys be um, recorded doing daily life. I mean, these guys will walk into an airplane and their shoulders will touch the luggage and, and then they'll sit down and those shoulders will take from the, the, the aisle to the, to, to the, to the uh, window. I mean, they're just, you're sitting down. There's no way they can have anybody else sitting right now. These guys are huge. I just imagine that guy coming over and sitting right next to you. So God, the one that fills up the space is trying to occupy the place of your heart. Are you in? Yeah, yeah, fill me up. But here's the problem. When you occupy the throne of your heart, God has no room. He's so powerful, but he's not going to kick down the door and shove you off your throne. That's your job. That's why the primary warning inside scripture is don't have any idols. Don't have any other gods before me. Why? Because it just doesn't work. Everybody's tried it. God's like, listen, I made you. Just take my word for it. 
So here is the picture that God wants to fill up the heart. Now, who, who is Jesus and what does he come with? John 10.10 says this. I came. Jesus said, I came. This is the purpose of why I left heaven and came down to earth. I came so that you may have life and life. Say it with me. That you may have life and life abundantly. We, we've... We've done this before a few months ago, but remember the super added life? Were you guys at church? Super added. Who doesn't want super added life? Sign me up for that. And in John chapter 7, Jesus actually says, when you have a relationship with me, you will have rivers of living water coming out of you. (laughs) Yes. Anybody? Or anybody feel like you have like a trickle, small stream happening right now? You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, out of your heart, are you refreshed? No, it's just, it's more like a leak. <laughs> I'm like dripping all over the place. I would love to have rivers of living water for all of you. Come, any who are weary and heavy laden, come drink if you're thirsty. <laughs> I got, I got this little shot for you. That's about it. I don't have a spring of living water. God says, this is my promise. Abundant life to come from your heart. This is what Proverbs chapter 4 says, that life comes from your heart. Life is guided by your heart. So what do you need to do? Let, let's read this in reverse. Life comes from the very delivery of your heart. We you put Proverbs chapter 4 up there? Life comes from the very central place of your being. So what is your job? At the very beginning of this, it says, guard it. Are you with me? Guard. Life comes from your heart. Why? Because Jesus fills it up. And wherever Jesus is, there's abundant life. Life comes from your heart. What's your job? Guard it. Guard it from what tries to come in. Things try to come in by what you listen to. And what you think about. What you believe. Who you hang out with. What your practices are. Things inadvertently come in. Don't you wish Satan, the enemy over your heart, would be more overt? I wish that he had just had come in here with like a package of dynamite. He's like, here, I'm going to put this. This is going to destroy your life. And you're like, oh, that's really easy to clean up. You just, you just take the whole package and you just throw it away. And you're like, I'm moving on to abundant life. I appreciate that. That's not the way he works. He places little tiny firecrackers. Actually, let me, let's just go a little bit smaller. Do you know those little white, um, they're good for all ages, and they throw them on the ground, they pop. You know what I'm saying? Very satisfying. Uh, it, Satan does that. He just, just tosses a couple of those poppets. Just pop, pop. Just, at some point in time, when you have enough of those on the most tender parts of your heart, you get real annoyed. You're like, this is, this is, it feels like dynamite. Now it feels like a, a grenade. And all he does is just chips away. And I'm going to tell you how in just a second. So just remember that. But he just chips away at your heart. Why? Because he's trying to do something. He knows the very heart of where inside of you. I don't know what would happen. Who knows what would happen in your life if you believe and took God at his word. But there's something that happened. This, the heart that you've been given, which is pure, it gets diluted. Or it gets polluted. Polluted has contaminants coming in. And 
when you get diluted, it's just so watered down that it's no good and unrecognizable. Let me give you two analogies. Uh, just this morning, I had a really, really dark, good black cup of coffee. Anybody with me? I don't put cream in it, just straight black, but it's not watered down. I mean, it's, it's black. There's no, there's no going back. And I just discovered recently pour-overs. Anybody do pour-overs? Wow. Was I really living before? I'm not sure. So, so now I have a pour-over. So this morning I had an awesome cup of coffee. And I, I, I'd imagine that this idea of polluting, just, or I'm sorry, diluting, diluting your heart down is very similar. Just putting more and more water into that coffee. At some point in time, when you get more water in there, you're like, it's not coffee anymore. It's just nasty. <laughs> That's what it is. You just throw it away. It's good for nothing. That's what happens to your heart. Satan comes in and just, yeah, yeah, that, that's a pretty intense truth. Dial it down. Pollutant. Let me give you an analogy. Um, I remember a story about a father who uh, came and was trying to tell his kids about the importance of just small little evils, small little things that would come in your life where the Bible says it's like leaven. Are you familiar with leaven? Really small ingredient for, um, for cooking. And he said it's, it's like leaven. Small little sins, small little selfish, prideful acts. You have, you have too many of those. This just destroys your life. And little teenagers were like, all right, yeah, that's cool. Good lesson, Dad. Can we go now? You're like, all right, fine. So they leave, and then this dad puts together a batch of brownies. He mixes them up. He cooks them, and then they're super nice. The boys come back in there, and he's like, hey, I got brownies. Anybody interested? Oh, of course, teenage boys. Are like, Can we skip lunch? Absolutely. Absolutely, come on in. Just have at it. I said, hey, one small side note. Um, I had to clean up the dog poo in back. Not a whole lot of it, but there's a little bit of poo inside the brownies. But please, go ahead. All in. Dig in. And they're like, what? No. That's disgusting. Like, he said, this is what he said. There's only a little bit. That's polluting. That's what happens to your heart. Only takes a little bit where you just won't even touch it. I don't want to touch this thing. Why? Because you stop seeing what God's doing in your life. And this is the enemy's tactic over your life. Why? Because God wants to fill you up and Satan wants to destroy what? Your heart. Can you, can you see the entire battleground? I don't know if you've ever acknowledged this, but Old Testament and New Testament, there's a lot of battles. Have you ever recognized that? Just in the Old Testament, there's a lot of war going on. I mean, just the Israelites alone, man, they had to fight the, the Perizzites and the Hizzites and the Termites. And I mean, every single one of them is never changed that one time. It's just always the ites. It's always related to some tribe. You got to go occupy these guys. Hey, the land is given to you. Really? Yeah, absolutely. You just got to go fight the giants. Go fight the giants. Go take these guys out. A lot of battles in the Old Testament. Have you ever seen all the battles in the New Testament? Some of you are like, no, I haven't seen this. Well, that's because it changes. It's not over land. It's over the land of your heart. God says, hey, you know, murder is what you do with your hands. Murder actually in the New Testament changes. It's actually what happens in your heart. Adultery. No, that's something Old Testament happens with your hands. That's something you physically do. No, 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 it happens because something got unattended and didn't maintain. You didn't kill it inside of your heart. Something, whatever it is. The battle remains. All right, now let me fast forward. The book of Revelation. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as a nice guy. He's coming to clean everything up and separate the sheep and the goats. The ones who play church and the ones who know God. And this is what he says. He comes down and he said, hey, listen, I, I want to be with my people. And the ones who he doesn't know, the ones who just rebel against him and leave, he says, depart from me for I did not know you. 
He's going to come down with fire in his eyes, a sword in his mouth, tattoo on his thigh. And, and listen, when he's riding on the white horse, ripping the heavens open, coming down to make judgment, do you want to know what his robe looks like? His robe, it says, Scripture in Revelation, it's dipped in blood. Why? Because there's a war. Guys, we need to wake up. We are in the middle of a battle. The Old Testament gives us a visual picture of the battle that we're in. The New Testament cannot be more clear. We're in a battle. It's in the spirituals. It's in the unseen. What is the battleground? It's your heart. God wants to come occupy it, keep it pure, and the enemy would love to come in and just get little spaces, get a little crevice. Uh, Ephesians 4 says, a little crack in the door. That's all he needs, and then he'll come in. Put a little firecracker there, just popping it, so it just comes callous, and becomes hard, rigid, and all of a sudden you stop seeing what God is doing, and you start backing off. I don't see God in the Bible anymore. I don't see him in my community anymore. I don't really like the church that I go to. And it just separates you from the very activity and the presence of God. And then all of a sudden you're so isolated that your heart is dying. We don't have time to read it, but Mark chapter 4 is the parable of the sower. Listen, I just want to make a point. The parable of the sower. Jesus comes out and he throws seeds, which is the word of God, into soils. Four kinds of them. Three, not good. One good. One good soil that receives, listens, holds onto it, and it bears fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. But the distinction that I want to make is in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus says, If you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand the other parables? And listen to what he says. Jesus uses the word understand twice. If you don't understand, how are you going to understand? But they're two different words. The first word for understand, he says, it's an internal condition. He says, if you don't see what I'm talking about, how are you going to experience? Listen, here's, here's the issue. Jesus says, if you don't do something with the word that you're given, like hold on to it. Tuck it in, believe it, think about it, own it, meditate on it. It's never going to show up in your life. Keep that picture. Rewind to the Old Testament, the Israelites. Millions of Israelites did not make it into the promised land. Why? Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 says because of rebellion. You catching this? They didn't go into and occupy and experience what God had for them, the abundance of milk and honey, because they didn't believe in their heart. If you don't believe, if you don't make space in here, it's not going to show up out here. Jesus says, if you don't understand here, you're not going to understand out here. And here is the separation Jesus has an issue with the primary people, inside a group of people inside of the Gospels that he always comes against. And he calls them hypocrites. And it's the religious leaders. This is what he says. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. Outside you look great, but inside you're dead. What's the point? It's because whenever we separate the outside and the inside, there is a big difference between our lives. God is not looking on the outside. He's looking on the inside. This is what God said to Samuel whenever he was looking at David. Do you remember this? He said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the 
Man looks on the outward appearance. You like my suit jacket? That's not the point. God looks at the, at the heart. There is a battle going on in your life. It's waging war. And I can tell you the primary target in the battlefield is your heart. All right, let's keep going. We have some more, we have some more work to do. Did you know that you lie under the power in a culture? Atmospheres and environments are really powerful. You go into the hospital in the ER room. You know there's an atmosphere and a culture in there. You know there's also an atmosphere in Disneyland. It's just a culture and atmosphere. It's an environment. They're, and they're really powerful. Listen to this. In 1 John chapter 5. It says that we know we are from God, but the whole world lies in the power of who? The evil one. The atmosphere of, uh, the Bible says, the world, where, you know, Jesus says, don't be friends with the world. Well, what does that mean? Don't be friends with your neighbors, like the physical human beings that we live on this world? No, no, no. It's the, it's the influence and it's the principles that make this world run. It's pride, it's vanity, it's always appearance on the outside. It's you are what you have, you are what you've done, and you are what everybody else thinks about you. Pride of life, lust of the flesh. I mean, these things are just inundated in the world. It's the world system. Don't be friends with that world. Why? Because it's a wide road and the end of it is destruction. And here he says the whole influence and the power of... Of our world, that world system lies in the evil one. But don't worry because God is supreme and sovereign over all. Are you with me? But you, you need to know this. Because there are areas in your heart, in your life, that has been a battlefield and the battleground over the very purity over your heart so that you can be polluted or deluded by the enemy. You guys familiar with uh, John Eldridge? He wrote a book called Wild, it's called Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart. You should read that. It's a really good book. He wrote another book, John Eldridge. It's called Waking the Dead. Highly recommend that too. But here's a quote from that book, Waking the Dead. He says, the story of your life is the story of a long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and he fears it. What if you looked over the entire map of your life and recognized all of your disappointments, all of your mixed, missed expectations, all of your hurts with other people, all of this, the wounds that happened in your life, all of the childhood ill memories where you were physically abused or verbally abused, or what about the very makeup that actually makes you hurt and cover over it? You don't want to tell anybody. What if all those issues were, were a long stream of an assault over your heart? Because the enemy knows who you are and what you could become. What if all the language that you believed, which are lies coming in, and you empowered them, that actually gave them the right to destroy your life from the inside? What if all of the issues that you had in childhood, all of the missed expectations, all of the hurts and the wounds in the past, what about the people that showed up in your life and that hurt you? What about the people that didn't show up in your life and you hurt you? What about all that your parents did or what they didn't do? I just wrote down a few things of, of things that we have had in our past, maybe you personally, that have, are incidents that have scarred our hearts, maybe from childhood, maybe through adolescence, maybe they're still happening. 
Maybe you couldn't be free of them even if you tried. You couldn't run away because they are so cling to your heart and your past. Maybe there's so much brokenness, you have no idea where to start. What if John Eldridge is right? What if the assault and the brutality over your entire life was over your heart? Because God wants to fill it, keep it pure, and the enemy wants to pollute it and dilute it. What if that was true? Well, then then the question would rise. If the enemy is trying to attack your heart through other people, how does he do it? Let me give you two scriptures that describe who Satan is. Because Paul says, he warns us, don't be ignorant of his schemes. You need to know how he operates in your life. Well, let me tell you two. John chapter 8 is this. John chapter 8 says, Jesus is speaking about the enemy, Satan himself. And he says, you know, this guy is a murderer from the beginning. He was never a nice guy. He never wanted companionship with you. Maybe you're familiar with the wounds and the abuses, but you were never supposed to be. Maybe you thought that the upbringing that you had was normal. The abuse that you took and that you were around was okay. It wasn't. Not by anybody's design. Because he's a murderer from the beginning. Not the holding to truth because he's never had truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar. Listen to this. This is what uh, Jesus dubs and describes Satan, the enemy. He's the father of lies. It all originates back from him. When you believe a lie, you empower the enemy in your life. He doesn't have any jurisdiction over you that you haven't already given him. But now, when you're submitted to God, you have a owner over your soul, over your heart, who can remove and evict that very presence. Any lies, Jesus comes, gives you truth, and the truth will set you free. That's one way. Here's the other way Satan comes. The enemy tries to either pollute or dilute your heart. It says in Revelation 12 that salvation, power, and the kingdom of of God and the authority of Christ now came. And the accuser of the brothers, which is the accuser of, of us as a family, has been, listen to this, has been thrown down. (laughs) This is Jesus saying, Satan, listen, guys, I evicted him out of heaven. Aren't you glad? I've thrown him down. That's good news, everybody. You're not celebrating, but you will. You will. But can I tell you the bad news? There's bad news. You know where Jesus threw Satan down? Earth. I know. Got the same questions. Out of the billions of planets on this world. Why us? Why didn't he throw them to another planet that you could torment aliens if there are any? You know, I mean, theoretically speaking, when you look at this thing, you're like, yeah, hey, listen, free heaven is free and clear of Satan. I've kicked him out. But here's what he's doing still to this day. He's going back and forth on earth. Listen to the last sentence, accusing brothers and sisters, accusing each other before God day and night. Have you ever been accused of something? Falsely accused? Have you ever been criticized? Did it hurt you? Were you wounded? You know the old saying that's 
such garbage. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will crush you. Especially when you keep them around like a companion. Do you have an offense? You have old wounds, hurts, that you're literally holding on to unforgiveness because they don't deserve it? You're holding on to the cancer that's eating you alive. Do you have things that you just don't give to other people? You're like, they don't deserve it. I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not going to let them off the hip. They owe me. You're offended, and you have the right to be. They abused you verbally, physically. You're holding on to things that have literally torn you apart because you won't tell anybody about them. There are things happening in your life from the aftermath of holding on to something in your past that you failed to let go of. And Jesus says, I want to give you a new heart. I want to give you a new heart. But I want something from you. To allow the wounds and the hurts to really mend through your heart. I want you to forgive. Forgive them. Forgive your parents. Forgive your friend. Forgive your spouse. Forgive your family member. Forgive the person that hurt you, that didn't show up, that did, that said that thing, that didn't say that thing. Forgive them. You want to know why? Because you think that the war and the battle and the fight was with them. Every single time Satan comes in here and he plants a sin, he plants a piece of pride, he plants a hurt, he plants a pain, he throws weeds in the garden of your heart all day. And he says, hey, do you know what this person does? Did you know? Did you hear what they said about you? Do you know about this? He accuses everybody else day and night. Why? So that he can remove himself, go to occupy other places. So you and I will just fight with one another. We'll just fight. Marriages will fight. Friends, fight. Family, fight. What's the deal? If we keep fighting with each other, we won't fight the real enemy, the sin and the selfishness and the pride. You know, James actually says in chapter four, you want to know why you fight with one another? It's the selfish desires inside of you. If you stop fighting with one another and actually fight the evil desires, the sin and the pride within you, you guys will have a pure heart and you'll see God in the midst of your marriage, in the midst of your friends, in the midst of your family. And you'll stop fighting. You'll love them because you'll start seeing them for who they are, who God made them to be. And you'll call that out verbally instead of calling out the destruction that actually just rests in your heart. But we need to come to this physical principle and not just know about it, that it's inside the Bible. Ephesians 6 says, your battle, your war, the very occupancy of the battleground over your heart is not against flesh and blood. It's not against family. It's not against your boss. It's not with your spouse. It's not with your parents. It's not with the people who should have done something. It's not the one that would have done something. It is not there. It's in the occupancy of our heart to keep it pure because God can't. Gave it to us pure. And we need to do what Proverbs says. Guard it. How do we guard it? We forgive. We forgive. We forgive. Because forgiveness brings the two human beings closer together. And it kicks Satan out. When you're hurt, you want to keep people at a distance. 
I'd just rather not see them and avoid them. Why? Because you don't want to deal with what comes up in our hearts when we see them face to face. There's a purity that God wants to bring back to our hearts so that we can see God in the midst of what he's doing in our life right here. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.